Artcast, your weekly podcast for insight into the articles to read, decks to play at FNM, cards to buy and sell, and insight from Robert Martin and Channel Fireball's own Tristan Sean Gregson. It's time for Hardcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hardcast. Today, as we record, this is Thursday, the May 19th, and your server status update for ChannelFireball.com is down. For those of you that are uh, old-time Magic the Gathering online users, and we used to have to keep refreshing that stupid page waiting for the server to come back up on version 2.5, it's a very similar circumstance for us right now over at ChannelFireball.com. Our... uh, I want to blame it on Scott uh, Josh Silvestri. Uh, something in his article crashed the website, so right now I'm just blaming it on Silvestri. But we still have stuff to talk about. This this podcast, I'm sure, will still get posted somewhere deep in the caverns of people talking about magic. So I'm going to pass it over to my amazing co-host who puts in the time, even when there's nothing to put in time for, Robert Martin. How are you doing tonight? Doing wonderful. It's a good weekend coming up here. We're finally actually getting some heat in the state of Wisconsin, so... I'm happy with that. It has uh, been quite the rainforest effect over here in California. It's been like ridiculous downpour rain for six hours, and then sunshine for a day, and then back to raining. And uh, right now, the sun is still out here at you know a, another quarter to eight p.m. Pacific time while we're recording this right now. But uh, it's it's been a wild ride. It's really awkward for me because I got to commute over a, uh, a mountain every day. So if it's raining, it's you know, it can sometimes double my work commute. So outside of Channel Fireball having issues this week, what else do we have to talk about? Well, we've got uh, a decent amount of stuff. I think uh, again, part of the whole you know trying to expand on uh, what we're here to talk about and hopefully what the audience is interested in trying to figure out exactly what that is. Uh, you know, just trying to go over general magic topics. You can't necessarily find on every other podcast I'm sure you're all listening to out there. It's like, I, I don't know if it's flattering to think that people might listen to only us, or if we're one of, like, the 10,000 things that people consume as far as magic content every week. Um, but, you know, anything that uh, comes across my email or, or my eyes or my ears as the, as the week goes by is something that I'll, I'll look to uh, interject with or comment on. And, uh, you know, Rob, it seems like you know, you're you're already spending hours a week at least talking about stuff uh, when, in regards to magic or commenting one way or another via Twitter. So, anything that you want to save exclusively here, or you want a different opinion from, uh, we can cover in this arena. Now, personally, did this last weekend's event have any influence at all? Do you think on what's coming up for Providence? Uh, you mean the the legacy event? Yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. I, I think that um, the nice thing about the Star City Games Open Series, I think for like competitive magic in general, is there's almost kind of an updated what's what's hot this second. What do people like? You know, is there room for something new to break out, and will you see it in a you know between 150 to 500 person field of players? Uh, and for Legacy, it's all the more important because you're not going to see necessarily 100% accurate tournament results from formats like Magic Online. And then on top of that, you're playing with a new set that you wouldn't even have access to in Magic Online. So the legacy results for these, you know, weeks surrounding Providence are even more important. Uh, and, it's you know, it's, it's always fun to see the kind of the, the, the biggest format in Magic, the, the most wide open where players are trying the hardest to build stuff, really be affected by the newest set. So seeing you know 27 copies of Metal Misstep in the in the top eight of that event was exciting. Uh, you know, as much as I don't play Legacy, as much as I'm out of the loop in that format, um, it's always fun to see a new set have an impact on any format, let alone kind of the the biggest one. Foil Mental Missteps going for like 20 bucks. Uh, see, it's funny if you had asked me like six days ago what I thought they were worth and what I would sell them people for, uh, 20 would have been a good number. You know, just like. Punching the numbers on what foil uncommons are and, you know, the rate that you get them and their playability. But uh, I would have been wrong. I think uh, English is thirty nine ninety nine most places. Uh, a couple of friends of mine at the store got half a case of uh, Japanese, uh, and they managed to get one foil Japanese mental misstep, which they swear up and down are closing on eBay for $80, so they're pretty excited about that as well. Uh, you know, and like I would usually interject at this point and say, oh, it's, you know, it's hype. Oh, you know, it's the card is... 
hot in this instance, and that's what's driving its value. But, you know, Luis got his play set. I know uh, another one of our authors, Adam Barnello, is bugging me that he wants a play set. And that was kind of, unfortunately, after the fact, when I think we'd already sold our whole lot of them. And there's still a lot of players that even I know personally that are still looking to get their, uh, their play sets of these for their legacy decks. So, you know... Uh, Pick them up. If it, I'll buy them at twenty. I'll tell you that much. How has Magic Online prepared players for GP Providence? Yeah, you know, I think um, it's funny talking to the pros, and you know, there's just a lot of magic happening in the next six weeks. The set is just out, dissecting it for limited, doing set reviews. So many of these guys have so many responsibilities to the websites they write for, and for themselves to you know practice for GPs and Pro Tours coming up. And Legacy can be a difficult format to test for all on its own, even if you're interested in doing it with all the cards, with other human beings. And I know that people like Luis, uh, you know, usually end up on MPGO to try to test. And it's funny to think, you know, like, well, it's not really, it's not really the real format, you know, especially for Providence because the new set isn't out and everyone can just think like, well, you know, there'll only be minor tweaks and, or, you know, yes or no, like, how do you feel about that? But even, even watching like uh, Kibler's comments via Facebook and Twitter this week about, you know, his testing and how he feels about the format and uh, other people using Magic Gathering Online for it. It's, it's like, you know, is that is that an accurate representation of the metagame? Do, you know, Magic players going to events like Star City events test through Magic Online as well, and thusly maybe they're not playing with cards they could play with? I, I think, uh, you know, Metal Worker hitting Magic Gathering Online uh, and it's, you know, I wouldn't even say shooting up a value because it hadn't had a value on there, but being valued very high and all of a sudden sparking a lot of other metalworker decks that you see not only online but in real life like how is where is that correlation it's it's very interesting um to just think about you know how much magic online can help how much it isn't you know is is it useful i think that it kind of poses that question and how long until it reflects the real format because obviously people want to use it as a testing tool and it's going to lead to more people playing the legacy format so to me it, it raises a lot of questions because you know, watching the pros use it as their possibly their most major testing tool up until right before the event where they can all kind of gather together to really bounce ideas and play decks with all the cards. It seems like it's it's going to be utilized as much as it can be. XR combo is it the new standard with black or with green? Uh, yeah, I, you know, jumping right over to the other kind of you know breakout occurrence that doesn't seem so much like a breakout because we all kind of saw it coming slowly kind of kind of reminds me of um Eldrazi conscription the like the sovereigns of lost alara kind of combo ish like like deck from just over a year ago where it was like we all kind of saw it coming and we all were like well is it really going to be as good as advertised like it seems too obvious it seems like you can just disrupt it and uh, in the case for uh, Eldrazi Conscription, it was the real deal, you know, winning nationals and so on and so forth. Um, the, you know, stepping in for Pestermite, Deceiver, Exarch, Splinter Twin combo deck seems to be the real deal. Um, and, and really the bigger question is, in a metagame that was really dumbed down with Ka X variants, with a whole bunch of, you know, four Stone Forge Mystic, four Squadron Hawk, four Jace, some number of cards that surround those cards and include equipment, is you know is this the well, I wouldn't say answer but the other angle is it going to help diversify the format? It really feels like uh, Valakut is almost non-existent at this point, and you know it, it's not it wasn't holding up the pillar of another side of the metagame or another kind of deck or another avenue that it should have been. So you know it, it, is it the deck? I think that's that's the real question. Uh, there are plenty of tools out there. There are twenty plenty of builds out there. You actually. You got to the, the kind of the deck of the week choice first this week, so I was going to post kind of a different variant on the Deceiver XR Splinter Twin combo, but uh, there's plenty of talk. You know, do you play uh, the Rug Shell? Do you play it with Black and a Grixis Shell? Is the Hand Disruption Creature Removal better than the Acceleration and old kind of Rug pieces that can allow you to just kind of ramp into some huge Titans for a B-plan? You know, putting Splinter Twin on Frost Titan isn't necessarily bad. You know, what do you, uh, you know, how do you build it? There's still plenty of room. I mean, Spellskite is a great example of a card that kind of came out of nowhere to really protect this deck and make it what it is. All of a sudden, you're seeing all these twisted images in people's sideboards, some of them in their main decks. Um, 
Yeah, hopefully, to me, like, just kind of you know, shaking up the metagame, shaking up the format, and bringing something different to the table was something that was really needed. Because I was fighting, you know, players I knew, people that I usually play Magic with or test with, uh, myself included, being completely disinterested in this format, not wanting to test it, not wanting to play it, because it had become what felt like so stagnant. So I think from a health of the format perspective, I hope this deck is good. I hope it's diverse. I hope it, it do- itself doesn't dominate. Um, and then from a you know playability side, I'm, I'm interested to see what the correct quote-unquote build is. Uh, I think if you were to ask me today, I think I would lean towards Grixis. I don't see the kind of ramp style from green or the backup plan from green being as strong as the power of the disruption from black, uh, the different tools in black. I mean, you're talking like, just talk mirror match, for example. Go for the throat, circumvents, um, spellskite. You can play cards like, um, I mean, either version can play a card like uh, Phyrexian Revoker, but there are, you know, I think there are more tools in the Grixis version to not only disrupt other decks, but also win the mirror match. Not, you know, not to, to dog the rug version. I think it's also a good list. That's why I think this deck is going to thrive. Um, but I would play the Grixis version this weekend if I was going to play that deck. My only concern with this deck is that it is a combo deck, which means if you know what's coming, you can sideboard for it. Uh, yes. Yes. And it's interesting, you know, Spellskite goes a long way with making some of those sideboard tools obsolete or not as effective. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk around Phyrexian Revoker this week about being kind of the answer to the Deceiver deck, because Splinter Twin does give the creature in question the ability, or even if it didn't, you know, you still name uh, the right piece of the puzzle. But um, I, I think that, you know, again, with the Grixis version, you're going to have lots of disruption before you, you know, need to go off. The format isn't extremely fast right now. You know, the red decks have kind of been taking a back seat, and I don't picture them getting any better with the new set being out. Uh, you know, I like the big red Koth deck. I, I still like it. I just don't see it. You know, it's, it's not fast. It's big red. Um, and goblins, you know, you still got to deal with all those stupid, you know, and I got a, a pro-red sword out of the Coblade decks. It's just like, there's not too much on the aggro side of things to try to keep these kind of mid-range to slow controlling combo decks from doing their thing. So I think that the Deceiver combo is surprisingly hard to stop. I mean, it already has four toughness. You've got Spellskites to back it up. You've got Hand Disruption, possibly Counter Magic, uh, possibly some Into the Royals being useful in some way or another if you can't you know, immediately make it happen the right way. So uh, I think it has a lot of resilience. I, I, I think that sideboarding against it isn't super strong right now. I think that's why people are so excited by a card like Twisted Image, because it's like, oh, the value, oh, the instant stop, you know, oh, it's never dead, so on and so forth. Um, so I, I think it, I think it's going to, you know, it's going to require people to really shift things, and I think that's what makes a good standard deck that will change a format. You know, Ka, Ka Go, Ka Blade, both those decks kind of, you know, forced Valakut to shift enough, which forced the whole metagame to shift, which left us where we are today. And, you know, obviously the way things naturally go, now it doesn't feel so exciting. Now it feels stagnant. Now we need something else. Blue-white, Cobblade one. Even the people that tried to make it dark blade, not surprisingly, the standard blue-white one went on one. It's, you know, it's still the same argument that I think it's, that has, you know, not always been there. But ever since, um, you know, Jerry added red to it a while back, um, and, you know, I, I think on one of our earliest podcasts, we talked about how the blue-white deck seemed like if it was going to beat the mirror match, you needed something kind of different. Uh, you know, now, like, you know, that was, like, pre-Mortipod being so exciting. But, um, you know, not dumbing down your mana base, keeping your, your deck consistent, being able to have access to more of those kind of colorless tools... Or, you know, even kind of different stuff. I, I think one of the most exciting things to me was, like, I think the version that won wasn't running Gideon Jura. That's what someone told me. Correct. That That is that is a, a bit of a surprise and definitely a shift in the, the how, like, people view the deck. Um, in, in a way, it makes sense. You know, if you can really capitalize on the counter magic if no one else is playing counter magic, that can be really good. Uh, you know, again, it's one of those, like, you know, shifts a little bit to the right, shifts a little bit to the left. Like, oh, we're going to play much counter magic. We'll find we'll play aggressive creatures and make that not so good. And then you're going to take all the counter magic out of your deck. We're going to play sweet, you know, over-the-top planeswalkers. You know, play Elspeths, Gideons, all the, you know, Baneslayers, the stuff up top that, you know, just will come over the top of your other plays. We'll find we're going to play these, you know, 
crazy expensive spells you think are going to have uh, windmill effects. We're going to go back to playing the cheap counter magic and disruption and there with our cheap guys. And yeah, it's it's interesting to watch the constant battle of the top deck itself trying to beat itself, and that hopefully will allow other decks to get in there and be like, oh, well, you're so meta against your own mirror match trying to you know win these matchups. Well, all of a sudden you know deal with this vengevine or something. Well, vampires did make the top eight though, which was. Interesting. It's the same black red bill, a couple tweaks, but still. It's a nice thing to hear. Um, again, it's uh, you know not not a home run until something like really wins it. But again, we had you know that's in the top eight. The XR combo was in the top eight. I know I personally will be at a PTQ, uh, not playing unfortunately, but uh, observing this weekend. So I'll be excited to see what non Stoneforge Mystic centric decks uh, brings to the table cube question of the week yeah you know well cube is really something i spend a lot of time with and i you know have a passion for and um i you know it's what i it's what i like out of magic in many ways it keeps me in the game and if you've listened to my interviews on force spikes or uh eh, some old my, my old articles or updates and stuff you you know you know i'm i'm into it i'm still trying to make the the scheduling work out so I can do a guest spot on Third Power because I, I love those guys. I love Usman and and uh, and even like Taya from uh, you know her her stuff that she did in Star City. Uh, I, oh, and, and Evan, it seems like uh, in not not exactly the Godfather. I think it'd be more like Tom Pill and the Canadians prior. But like, you know all that stuff. So that, I spend a lot of my time. I play. That's where most of my magic is played. Uh, anytime a set comes around, there's a lot of talk about what to change, what to do. And as uh, New Phyrexia, you know, was there, we had the whole spoiler. I was going through, thumbing through things I wanted to add. I kept coming, you know, back to Praetor's Grasp and asking myself, is this card really good enough? And when I did, like, the official kind of update that I sent out to the people that uh, have asked me for the updates, and I kind of, like, bounce ideas off of... Um, you know, it wasn't included, and surprisingly enough, you know, none of those people mentioned it either. But I, but I kept coming back to the card and being like, well, you know, you know, extract from Odyssey isn't really good enough to play. You know, you can sideboard it and really blow somebody out who's like trying to combo off or like has a soul win condition, and it was like, you know, gives given is too good because you're stripping all your opponent's win conditions out of their deck and. Trying to trying to find a balance, and I, I didn't want to put the card in because I thought you know too often you would draft it as a sideboard card, like you would draft it being like, oh well, I'll bring this in when my opponent's also playing black or playing the same colors I'm playing, and I can really exploit it. And I don't want to have cards in the cube that are specifically for sideboarding, that are specifically like, oh, I'm only going to bring this in in a particular circumstance. I don't think that's the way the format should work. So. Actually, just today, I sparked a, a small Twitter conversation. Uh, I think that's probably, it's like the biggest kind of like burst someone like myself can make uh, on the Twitter. But I got, got some, a conversation going about whether or not to include it. And I was surprised at the amount of, you know, positive, you should play it. You know, it's fun. It's actually good. You know, cube decks are always good. Well, if you're playing power, you're, you know, it's likelier you're going to find something good in your opponent's deck. And, um, at the end of the day, I, I think I want to run it. Again, it's it's more of a fun format than a super competitive format, as much as I do like to play for stakes, the juicy, juicy stakes. But, uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. I think that the fun factor kind of outweighs the, well, it's going to be dead all the time, and all the negative Nancys that are just going to look at it in a pack and be like, this card, terrible, doesn't do anything. Um but I, but I pose that same question to the cube enthusiasts out there. It's like, you know, did, did you immediately dismiss this card? Did you immediately include this card? Like, you know, what are your what are your thoughts on it? Because a lot of the people I talk to, well, it seems like it's so much fun. It seems like it seems like it leads to better situations. Like, you know, there's the exiling things face down and having your opponent, you know, sweat it out for however long, being like, ah, what's under there? Is it a cryptic command? Or is it my only morphling I was going to win the game with? Is it, you know, just a land? Like, what's going on? So, Well, I think in Cube especially, to be able to grab a card from someone's deck is really important because if you get a chance to look at all their cards, then you can analyze it and go, okay, he would need this one, this one, and this one. 
I'll take one of these three, and oh, by the way, if it matches one of my colors, great, I can play it. That's the way I looked at it. I thought for sure it would have been an auto-in, but your cube is very tough to crack. Which is weird, because mine's considerably larger than um, a lot of other people's, so it seems like I have I get to be more liberal with the number of cards and the type of cards I include. Um, but, I, I mean, being able to search your opponent's library and see what they're playing, obviously very useful. Um, we do so many Rochester drafts, so many team drafts, where it's just like, by the time you're sitting down from across from your third opponent, you know every single trick they've got, you know every single card they have, and you haven't even played a single game against them. That I started from a standpoint where it was less about, you know, I, I have to have this because I need to know your information. That, and a lot of times, you usually play best of five, because you, you can get blown out by something, and you want to play best of five. So, you know, game four, you finally draw your your Praetor's Grasp, and you're like, okay, well, maybe this will help me make a more informed decision, as opposed to, like, I need to know what's in your library. And, like I said, I just didn't want it to be a, a sideboard-only card. I really like the idea of just making somebody sweat. If they're, like, splashing that planes off their Arid Mesa to make their Wild Decaddle 3-3, and you can take their planes, and, like, that's somehow good. Like, I, it's, it's interesting to think. Like, I don't know. I'm sure that... But, again, I'm sure it's going to lead to Many a great story if it gets included, and hopefully those will lead to wins and be good enough to include. Every time you do it, you're playing with different people, and everybody drafts differently, and that's what makes it always a constant challenge. I, you know, my cube has a lot of five color lands. I run all the vivids. That, you know, city of brass reflecting cool thawing glaciers. You know, there's a like. I'd like to think that I'm a, you know, all the moxes and so on and so forth. So. I'd like to think that, you know, more often than not, you're going to find a way to cast that, you know, off-color spell or whatever and make it all the more exciting when you're beating your opponent with their own tools. I mean, like I mentioned, we, we used to play with, well, for a short time we played with Gifts Given, but that card is just too ridiculous. It's, it, just, it, it was obviously not meant to be a card you played with. It was meant to be a sweet joke, and it really is a joke every time you cast it, so... Hopefully this is a, a toned-down version of that at some point in the future. If you have suggestions for Cube Card of the Week, uh, please send them in. Card of the Week, Question of the Week, Thought of the Week. You know, uh, again, this is... I mean, I'm not going to say I'm an expert about anything, but this is something I spend a lot of time with, so uh, I enjoy it. Story and Cube Story of the Week. I remember, the time, I remember one time uh, my opponent cast Gifts Given, and I forked it. And then I got to take his two best threats, and he got to have my two best threats. And then when the game is over, I don't know who shuffled what into what library, but it was a lot of fun while it happened. That is an awesome response to it. My, my friend was, we, we played last weekend. My friend, um, the guy on my team, was playing like a Teferi control deck. He was playing like red-blue, like counter burn. He was a little short on the burn because I was drafting a lot of the burn spells, you know, not knowing how badly that was going to affect him. He played against the, like, green-black ramp deck that just happened to have, like, Soul Ring, Mana Vault, Tooth and Nail into Ulamog. So in a pivotal game, uh, his opponent cast Tooth and Nail and Twine. So my my team member was like, all right, fork it. We're all kind of, like, you know, holding our breath, like, oh, what's going to happen? He searches his library. He puts Teferi into play. He shuffles his library. That was the only creature in his deck. So that wasn't very exciting. His opponent then resolved his tooth and nail and put, you know, like Ulamog and uh, Visara or something into play, and that didn't work out so well. But Scoop. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You got to make a red, a red, uh, a red copy of Tooth and Nail, which uh, I guess is exciting. You had a busy week this week in the office. It looks like with Magic TV. Uh, we did. We had to make up for last week. Luis was unavailable due to personal issues. You know, car was broken. Happened to be in LA. He couldn't make it in. So, you know, we went ahead and recorded quite a bit of content just for, you know, the website to be down. So you can find all of those episodes slowly being posted one a day to uh, our YouTube page, which if you're not a subscriber of and you like way too many draft videos and constructed videos and every once in a while a 20-minute video by myself and the Louis Scott Vargas, please do subscribe. If nothing else, head over. Uh, we've been doing a long-standing series of, like, top eight best card lists where we started with uh, blue because Luis wanted to be lazy that day. We've made it all the way through all the colors and now we're on artifacts and lands. So we do both those segments this week. Uh, some of them seem pretty obvious. Some of them may surprise you and the order may surprise you as well. So check that stuff out. Uh, the old hit or myth segment for uh, 
what are we on? Yes, New Phyrexia. Yes. So, uh, you know, like, uh, I, I'll tip my hat to Wizards of the Coast. The entire Scars of Mirrodin, you know, Mirrodin Returns block, I feel that they have done pretty good justice with the Mythic Rares, you know. Not, no, not as many Vengevine-esque debacles, although Batterskull could have been rare and just slightly smaller in size, and I don't think anyone would complain. Uh, so that's one of the segments. And the last segment of the week, oh yeah, we're talking about, um, the month of magic that's coming up for professionals. Someone like Luis who has to head off to Providence, you know, touch home to sleep in his own bed for a day, take off to Singapore, followed by Japan for the Pro Tour. So there's a GP in Singapore, Pro Tour in Japan, and then fly immediately back to Kansas City for one more Grand Prix. That's a lot of travel, ladies and gentlemen. That's also a lot of magic. So we go over how to prepare for that, how he feels about each of those formats. What do you gotta, you know, try to do during that time span and all that travel, which just seems, there's no way those paydays are worthwhile. It's all about the glory, I guess, and the women. I think that's why you end up doing it. What are you talking about? You're going on most of those trips. <laughs> yeah, but I don't even get to play. I gotta work. I know. I spent, I spent an hour in the airport trying to get all my luggage and cards and display cases and life pads and all this shit that uh, that's how I feel about it. All this stuff I gotta get from the airport to all these places and then, you know, be at the hall until all hours and sleep for a few of them and, you know, you were, you were there in Dallas. You, you, you got, you got a preview of what that kind of thing is like. It's actually kind of interesting to see the onslaught on Friday of people trying to get stuff. That was actually really interesting. And then how Saturday turns into start selling stuff. And then Sunday, a lot of people are selling stuff. Gave me a definite, different view, perspective of how the business aspect of it works. And, and it's funny, it was you're one of those, you're one of those people that just absorbs that stuff. You love it. Uh, to me, I mean, I, I guess learning it, it was interesting to kind of feel the different kinds of ebbs and flows of people and their interests and views will be through the course of a weekend um, at a Grand Prix or something like that. But um, you know, I, I'll never forget, you know, Nationals, like 2002, when we needed one or two, like, we decided to run one more corrupt in our mono black deck or something, and they ended up, I'm going to go to a vendor and buy them for $3 or something. So you, you go into a hall on a Friday for a constructed event, and it, it's funny because, like, it, it Channel Fireball, like, we're all, we all used to be, like, players, and we all hate that, so... For the most part, if we brought a, you know, 25-cent common from the website, okay, we might sell it at a dollar. Like, you know, if you buy 50-cent comics, you might sell them at a dollar. But you're not going to see us ever be like, oh, yeah, you want um, Explore? That'll be three bucks. Uh, so it's interesting to watch, like, you know, players and other vendors and just kind of the commerce that happens before a big tournament like that where it's like, okay, these, you know, key, sometimes not so key, commons and uncommons and trying to scoop them all up in the room and make sure all your players have them or no one else has them. Uh, uh, Exile to Darkness from uh, GP Oakland you know, a year and a half ago is a great example, too, where it's just like no one even bothered to bring this janky Saviors uncommon that all of a sudden, you know, all of Team Fireball was trying to run like two copies in their Dark Depth sideboard for the mirror or something. I don't remember what their crazy answer was. I didn't end up running it, and I think I had just as good of a day as a lot of the other guys. How do you create a GP Pro Fantasy draft that would work, and how to score it? Now, this is something that uh, I think you've talked about extensively on other shows, other arenas. I come to you because... Because of my extensive horse handicapping? (laughs) You know, you're so tied into this that there might be something that you might have thought of that might work better. Well, it's funny. Um, actually, I mean, I, I, my experience with this kind of thing is I remember the old, like, Fantasy Pro Tour they used to post on the, on the main page, on the homepage, and I remember, you know, not being, like, I, I don't know, like, I, I, didn't, I wasn't a big fan, like, trying to, like, pick your ponies in that, in that respect. I... I was almost more of a fan of it, kind of doing it like, um, like you you face off against somebody, like more like uh, fantasy sports now, where it's like you face off on a team and you like try to make them evenly matched. Um, instead of like a, a salary cap, you have kind of like a maybe like a pro point handicap or a like you, what you consider a play skill or pro level handicap. Because um, 
that way you can hopefully have even teams. And, and the reason this came up is I remember in GP Portland last year, um, near the end of day one, a couple of European gentlemen came up to me and were trying to figure out like exactly how to spell my name. And I was really confused. I didn't really know what they wanted until they explained to me that one guy had me on his draft team and the other guy had somebody else, and they were trying to figure out who they were. And I was like, you know, flattered. And I was like, I don't understand. Like, you know, why? Why am I on your list? He's like, oh, you know, like you had to stagger it. Like, you know, like you feel like if this guy took Luis and this guy took Martin and this guy took Brad and this guy took Connolly, it was like kind of like you know you had to had to try to level it out. So you know, at the, at the bottom of the barrel of their fantasy you know pool or whatever, it's like it's me and. I don't. I can't. I don't even know who the equivalent of me is on the other side. And I was like, oh, okay. I guess that makes sense. So I think uh, you know, you'd have to, you'd have to just be able to accurately represent the expected play level of all the players involved. And the nice thing is, it would it would probably make it so you would have to include people like myself, which would be hilarious and more of that wild card aspect, where it's like, oh, you know, I only have you know, X number of points left on my fantasy pool. I need to pick up a player that fits into that category. Well, this guy might be playing today. And it's funny, too, because, like, in Portland, I wasn't even planning on playing, but I ended up playing because I had the buys. Uh, so I, I, I enjoyed that. But uh, I think that's the most important thing, like, being able to create a system where you could then mash two teams against each other, because essentially you're only betting against one other person in that kind of respect. Or, or uh, when I say betting, you know, you know what I mean. Yes, yes. Some yes, number yes. of baked goods will exchange hands. Uh, but then, like you could, you know, you could still do it against as many people as possible. You'll just have to redraft each time against each participant you're playing against. So, you know, eventually, if you got six or seven of these pools going, you could be rooting for pretty much every single player. It's kind of like hedging your bets, you know, the spread, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, There'd be no losers then. Every week you'd be like, oh, I've got him. I've got him. <laughs> Just the guy that showed up, bet on me, and then found out I'm working the whole weekend so that I won't even be playing. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry. I just, in Portland, I was going to work, and it was, but it was like an M11 limited event. So I was like, well, geez, how can I not play? And I had two buys on ratings. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll get in this thing. And then I find out like eight hours later, this guy had picked me in his pool. It's like, well, good, because thank you. And hopefully now we can do so much better. Because you would have got a big fat zero if it would have been otherwise. I well, what, uh, you know, you you really uh, delved deep into this topic. What did you guys uh, figure out? We ended up doing ten players. That was for worlds. And mm-hmm. then what we did is it was based on total points. Lowest score would win. You know, obviously, if your guy came in first, you'd get one point, which made it interesting. You guys, you guys would account for every like, you know. If, you know, I finished, you know, if it's a pro tour and I finished in the 432nd place out of 800 players, like, you you got that exact number of points? Exactly. Oh, all right. See, like, for an event like Worlds, that makes a lot of sense, because the player's going to be playing every round. You know, again, like, the, for, the format for the pro tour is going to change in the next year, so this this system might work better for you, getting... Getting all the players to play every round and have it matter, as opposed to just like, oh, well, you have four and four day one... We'll see you later, and then you know, like that ends your your trail. But we have an FM deck this week, a newer version, I guess you would say, of Conley Soul Sisters, but it's called Suture Scissors. An homage, an update, uh, or what have you. I do like the four glimmer po- glimmer post right out of the gate. That's uh, that denotes class. Uh, oh, I see. You've got so you've got the infinite life combo with uh, Suture Priest, Relic Warder, Metamorph. Or, or Souls Attendant, you know, whatever your whatever fits your fancy. And then you also have the complete Stoneforge Mystic package, very very complete with the one Hammer of Ruin. Really ironically, I'm surprised that's not actually brought in sometimes, just because of the fact that if it hits, it destroys another equipment. I think that was the sideboard choice there. One Marshall's Anthem. Sometimes you got to go big. Mm-hmm. Sometimes your deck is full of creatures that cost three mana or less, and Maybe maybe you need to get one piece of your relic warder combo back. So mm. I think it's kind of a, a miser's glorious anthem. I'm a, I'm a much bigger fan of the four dismember in the sideboard because you're not worried about life total in your life gain deck. It's got to be good stuff. Well, it's got to have some form of removal, and that's the best way to do it right now. Is that? But we have five up, five down. 
Take it away, my friend. Where would we like to go? Let's go up this week. Not surprising, number one on the list, Spellskite. You know, we touched on it briefly last week. It was hard not to mention like the exact same cards this week that I mentioned last week. Uh, not too much time has passed, and pretty much all of the speculation from things heading into last weekend's Star City event came true. Uh, Spellskite is kind of right up there with the ridiculous level that Splinter Twin is, and the, uh, you know, why are you so expensive for a rare that has seemingly narrow uses, although I don't want to dog Spellskite too much like I think it... It has more of a range. Just remember, everyone, you have to attack with it, so you can remove Condemn over to it, should that end up happening, you know, if you're playing in that kind of deck. Uh, yeah, again, on the up and up, I think, you know, this card came out at $2, it kind of plateaued again at $6, now it's up to like 11 or 12 or something crazy like that. Um, you know, do I think it has more room to grow? The ceiling on rares is, you know, between 20 and $25, so yes, it could get that high, it's in a smaller set, although it's in a set that's drafted and opened the least out of the three sets, so that gives it a little more merit. I still think, you know, the twelve to fifteen dollar range is really high for this card. You know, sure it's effectively colorless, and you know, you could put it in that suture deck, for example, because you're just paying life, you're not paying blue mana. Uh, I still think it's a it's a bit of a stretch to think it's gonna go past fifteen. You'd have to see a lot more tournament results. You'd have to see you know, the Exarch decks would have to be as big as the Eldrazi Conscription decks from last year, and then it'd have to make its way around to other decks. Like, I don't, I don't picture people, like, Fauna Shamaning for this card immediately. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but it's high now. So um, capitalize on it, I think, is my, my best advice. You know, sell them high, trade them high, help people build their decks in exchange for whatever solid standard pieces or legacy pieces you need, because they're valued very high. Keep your set of four and then trade or sell the rest. That, that's true about most things. There are very few cards where I'm like, I'm sitting, I'm sitting on it until I got twenty, and then I'm, and then I'm just blowing them out. <laughs> this one's interesting, Phyrexian Crusader. Uh, you know, this one is interesting. There's been some rumblings of mono black and block. Um, you know, sort of War and Peace is good. Pro White is good. First Strike is good. I think this is mostly kind of like a block change. It's not so much a standard change. We ever, everyone else just got gifted the sword that kind of gave, like, this guy had a leg up because he was the pro-red, pro-white, which he didn't really have before. Now you've got that on the sword. Um, still on the up and up right now. It might, you know, it, it might change drastically with some infect tournament results or some block tournament results to be seen on Magic Online or uh, a little bit down the road in Japan. So uh, I, I think this guy definitely has room. He's a little more speculative on the way up right now. I think he's kind of mildly inflated from speculation. So you could see him level off in the near future. But again, if that speculation turns into concrete, then he's got a lot more room to move. The next one that Luis said was a miss, but it's going up, sort of war and peace. And I'm just glad you watched the show. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there was some caveats with that statement. It, it, it had to be what it is. It's as good as it really should be. Uh, and it's quickly becoming the most expensive card in New Phyrexia. Uh, having protection from white is pretty good when white seems to be kind of the best color in standard. Uh, and red might be the second best color in standard. We'll, we'll see. Maybe blue. Who knows? Uh, but it's, it's, it's moving its way up. It's the most expensive card. Do I think $30 is really a sustainable price tag for this card, though? I would be very surprised. Sort of Body Mind had a promo version. Sort of Body Mind doesn't really get played anymore. Sort of Body Mind is like, you know, under $10. Sort of Feast and Famine was the cornerstone of a very important interaction for a Pro Tour winning deck that you still only needed one or two copies of in your entire deck and never cost more than $25 and is back in, you know, starting to come back to reality already at 20 This card... It's really suffering from having not enough of them opened today. I think that's why it's so high. I think two months out, this card is no way it's going to have this value. Uh, sell high, ladies and gentlemen. Get get the $25 to $30 price tag you can at any kind of trade or sale you can make, and uh, let this card come back to reality. What do you think is going to settle about the 15 range? You know, the swords are interesting. They obviously have you know eternal playability in casual formats, and... You know, they're going to be an extended with Stoneforge Mystic for quite a while, so I don't picture them going away. I don't picture them, you know, coming down into the Molten Tail and Masticore range of Mythics. 
But if you think all the way out there, you know, Four of Fire and Ice, Sword of Light and Shadow, you know, they're, they're going to be popular for all those commanders and all those casual formats. So I have no problem with this being a $15 card forever. The next one, not a surprise because it seems to be in everybody's deck, Ink Moth Nexus. You want to make sure your swords activate? There you go. You want to infect people out in one variety or another? There you go. If you want an artifact that's actually a land because we can't get real artifact lands anymore, there you go. This card it does everything that we thought it was going to do, hoped it would do, and still has plenty of room to do more. Uh, it's the land you should all be playing. I mean, again, I can't remember what segment it'll be in this week, but Luis talks about uh, you know the mana and block and the lands you might want to play, and Inkmon Nexus is all the way at the top, and there you have it. It's it's uh, as good as advertised. Uh, still got room to move. Definitely have four. Definitely don't sell yourself short or let these guys go cheap. Uh, there was once a time where they were like a six or seven dollar car, but that time will never come again. Well, I wouldn't say never, but this isn't going to be any time in the next year or so. Yes, because it's got a full season of block and a full season of extended and standard and so and on. And so standard, forth. yes. And then the one that's not surprising because there was only twenty-seven of them in the top eight. Mental misstep. Uh, mental misstep. I, you know, I think it is actually a bit of a surprise. Um, you know, again, I try to compare it to Path to Exile, where it seems like one of those. Obvious going to be played in the in the format where it is good type things. You know, with Path it was more standard. This is obviously more legacy, and there'll be some bleed between between other formats. Obviously, Path and Extended versus Metal Misstep and, and Vintage. Um, you know, I, I really thought the you know pre-selling it at three dollars, immediately moving it to four, and being pretty surprised it hit five was like where this card was going to stop. Like a five dollar uncommon is a pretty big deal. But five ninety nine is a price tag pretty universally right now for this card. It's um, very much in demand, and I think up until you know up through Providence, uh, it's going to stay at that height. Uh, you know, if you don't need them, I definitely say sell, sell, sell on this card. Get as much of your value as you can. I mean, if you want to like spin through packs of new Phyrexia, this is like your golden ticket. You know, all you need is this one uncommon to make. Everyone, every pack, every pack you speculated on and purchased pay for itself. So, spin them now. Maybe, maybe keep four of them if you're going to play uh, Legacy or Vintage anytime soon. Otherwise, it's a great item to sell today. Absolutely, because it doesn't seem like it has any home and standard at all. So, Legacy tinge to it. Yeah, I would say definitely if you're a Providence, this is probably the best time to dump them is right at Providence because that's when it's going to be at its peak. We have down ones. And not surprising on top of the list because it was the number one priced card before last week. Karn Liberated. Yes, Liberated from high prices, that's for sure. This guy, once the pedestal of the set, once the, ooh, the Planeswalker has to be the best card, it has to be the chase card, um, has already hit reality, which seems like it's a little bit sooner than usual. But uh, he's on his way down. Where do I think this card's going to land? It's hard to say. I mean, it's colorless, which means anyone can play it. It's not ridiculously expensive, although it is expensive, so it's going to take kind of a half-build-me-around feel to it. But it seems kind of an auto-include, any kind of slow, controlish deck. I mean, anytime you remember trying to put slow, overpowering cards into control decks, this guy you know, fits that mold perfectly, and it is going to be playable in block. So look for it to sustain value. I don't think it's going to pull a Sark on the mat on us. If anything, it'll pull a Gideon Jura on us and, you know, hit hit what feels like rock bottom at the 15 to $10 range and maybe bounce back a little bit from there. So, you know, I, I still say it's a sell right now. I know, you know, there's not like a deck today that I could imagine you would need it in, and it's still pretty good to get its value out of, and you'll be able to pick it up later. But uh, don't, don't be too afraid of this guy just doing nothing but losing value. I, I think he's got some, uh, some longer term in him. He'll make a comeback. Surgical Extraction. Seems pretty obvious on this card. It really seems like it's just taking too long for it to happen. Every time I think this card's going to bottom out, it just seems to be just a little bit cheaper than it was the week or the day before. Um, no one, you know, no one that writes about magic or talks about magic too much likes this card uh, and to keep waiting for everyone else to wake up and see it not do anything I mean, if you want to talk about 
implications of the newest set on the standard format. Again, you know, you can look back to the most recent Star City event that was held the same weekend as a release. Where were all those copies of Surgical Extraction in, in two major formats where it maybe even could have been good? It seems like we talk about this card every week going down, Primeval Titan. I think at this point it's one of those things where it's like, where does the bottom fall out on this card? Uh, you know, under $20 on Primeval Titan. Ooh, gasp. Has there ever been a time? Uh, and I think the real question is, how far could it fall? For me, a lot further. I mean, you take some sweet lands out of your format, what are you going to go get? Uh, two Ink Moth Nexuses? I mean, next year rolls around, and this card may or may not be in standard, but definitely feels like it's going to be in standard with uh, what we've seen from Duel of the Planeswalkers promos. Um, I can't imagine it getting any better. I mean, I'm not saying they couldn't do something like they did with Valakut and all of a sudden, surprise, whammo, this guy's good again. But um, look for him to keep dropping through freefall. I mean, hopefully at this point, if you at least listen to this podcast, you're smart enough to know that it's not a deck and you should dump these guys already so you don't have this problem. But tell your friends, uh, get rid of get rid of Primeval Titan. Non-evil twin, Frost Titan. <laughs> Talk about riding the roller coaster. I mean, this guy is pretty much back where he started at this point, back when everyone swore up and down. This is the worst Titans. This is terrible. No one will ever play it. Little, little lonely $4 Frost Titan, the sweet ripped abs Titan that just doesn't really do anything. Um, it's funny, too, because, you know, I, I don't think he's dead. I don't think he's as frozen as people think. I mean, you were talking about these these rug decks with Exarch and it being completely fine in those decks. I mean, uh, I, I think it's it's still a quality card, and it's still, you know, pretty good against all these dumb, you know, like e- either version of Sword, any kind of stupid guy they want to put it on. This guy locks him down, gets in there, he's efficiently costed, and people are removing their Wraths from all their codex. Like, it's just a fine card. It's just uh, surprisingly bottomed out. Yeah, is everyone waiting for their new promo versions to play with? Is that what's holding everyone up? Because four bucks is still a bargain for this guy. I definitely think it's worth having. Definitely. We have the last one, which is kind of weird, considering we just talked about how powerful the deck is. Don't Forge Mystic. Well, someone needs to keep track of their Magic Arcana, because in the latest event deck for New Phyrexia, one of the two of them has two, count them, two copies of Stoneforge Mystic. So that means that card is immediately going to drop in value. The event decks are only twenty four ninety nine, which means that the maximum value that Stoneforge Mystic could ever be from this day forward is twelve dollars fifty cents. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> you say wow like it's unbelievable. I mean, you remember when this card was three bucks? Oh yeah, that's when I had my set was at three bucks and trying to figure out how to make it work, and then all suddenly. It did, but that's... Well, now if you need them again, they're going to be a lot cheaper. That's true. Very much. Seems like a good thing to me, right? Absolutely. Well, the problem is is those people that had a lot to get rid of are now going to lose out because they were... What were they at before this came out? Uh, They're still at the 22 to 25 range. They were holding strong. I I thought they were going to drop a lot sooner when New Phyrexy came out and hopefully other decks or you know combinations of cards would come together, but... No one was really interested in doing that. They're still interested in playing their same stuff. But now he's definitely fallen off. I mean, I, again, for the you know half dozen people that listen to this podcast, and you know for the half of those that care so much about the financial portion, I'm sure they are. They're already smart enough to dump all those things. Maybe they're holding on to their player sets so they can play in their key PTQs between now and when the event deck comes out. But all those extra copies they've unloaded for sure. I'm sure. The one card I'd like to go back to that we're done with this segment now. Luis is probably spot on with Urbrax the Hidden. Yes, yes, the uh, the four four haste for five that kismets your opponent's guys and your guys have haste. I really like that card, and I think what it's going to take is maybe not here, at a, maybe not an SCG event, but the next uh, next GP that actually has standard in it, and this card shows up in the top eight. What could be the ceiling on this one if it comes out and all suddenly it hits and it's a winner? It would have to be like a, I mean, I don't even think it has like vengeifying capabilities because it's legendary. It's not really something you can like easily get four of and one in play. Um, not saying you couldn't run four of it in a deck, 
it, it seems like it could be a twenty to thirty dollar mythic. Again, it, it doesn't have you know like overstepping casual implications. Like this card in limited, oh, sorry, this card in commander format only seems mediocre at best. I mean, there's so many opponents, so many different tools, and you have to keep playing guys onto the board, which seems a little awkward. Um, you know, that can kind of have a, a minor impact on uh, the value of a legendary card, and, and thusly it, it being legendary doesn't mean you can you know, windmill slam one after the other on consecutive turns to keep getting in there. Um, I, do think it's a, I do think it's a fine card. I do think that um, it will be played in some capacity, and it will be good. Um, that's, that's pretty much my, my thoughts. I mean, I think Luis's comments from our show this week really hit the nail on the head. I think it was pretty much the perfect sentiment for that card. It's going to be interesting to see when you talk about the lands because of your cube and how many of the lands that you guys mention are in your cube. Oh, 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 oh. Um, you know, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head what that list looked like. I'm going to give you guys, you know, like, you know, go for the, the sneak peek here, but it was like, let's see here. Um, well, some of them are cheats because you, you have to, like, some of them, like, we include cycles of stuff. But it's like, I would say of the list of the top eight, quote, unquote, there's probably only two I don't run. So six out of eight, I guess, is a good answer. Paolo this week is making a guest appearance on the A-Team. Wow, I hope they're nice to him. That's the exact message I sent to him. I said, please be nice. But, hey, Paolo's a good sport, and from what I'm reading on the tweets, he's having fun. So, uh, that's Man, I run, I, damn it, I thought I was going to run all the artifacts on the artifact list, but I actually run six out of eight of those as well. Huh. Although again, it's it's a it's a cheat on both. Like it's they're they're it's it's not like eight individual cards. But those, those categories are far too large and spanning to just kind of try to pigeonhole items. Anyway, uh, I think we are starting to ramble, and we should probably pack it in here. Absolutely. Until next week. Send your comments, concerns, questions, inquiries ramblings uh, to TSG at channelfireball.com if you're directing them to myself. You can also find me at Tristan Gregson on Twitter. Just broke 600 followers. Woohoo! You know, feels good when you don't follow anyone. You could be 601 right now. Although I, I'm sure, I'm sure Robert, I'm sure you follow. And every once in a while, I'll, I'll log on to the old Channel Fireball Twitter so I can kind of stalk my friends and see if they're saying anything useful that didn't find its way to any other form of media. Well, on that note, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. You're still here. It's over. Go home. Go.